Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky. It was an unknown wilderness. It wasn't long before they went into the wide valleys through the Cumberland Gap. This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that none of its participants have ever carried a valise. Today's title is a behind-the-scenes tour of the Gettysburg Address. I am your allergy-ridden host, Brent Taylor. Jason Donner is my sick co-pilot. We sound really weird. We do, and it's part of it living in Kentucky. Uh-huh. The ragweed apparently goes through the roof. Ragweed. And then it tries to kill you. Right, you're allergic to the very air you breathe. That's how it goes. And as an added bonus, you get to sound like a tough guy. Yeah, that's just, yeah, it's true. It helps. In this episode of Old Kentucky Tales, our main event will highlight the surprising circumstances surrounding the making of one of America's greatest speeches. And along the way, don't forget to support the fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. is coming, loaded to overflowing with booty, capture from fleeing German armies over there. All the instruments and accoutrements of modern German hellish warfare placed before your eyes, hear the speakers, see the special detail. By special arrangement of the local Liberty Loan Committee, we'll stop for two hours at Maysville, Kentucky. I think you just see it, it's like a little display, and then they roll it into the next town. This would help morale quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, well, they didn't have a morale problem. Well, World War One, we were very, very cocky. Nobody spiked the football like World War One guys. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a really big deal. You might remember one of the earlier episodes we did was "What Shall We Do with the Kaiser?" Oh yeah. And we had all the the little suggestions from the little girls. What to do the, with him? And right. Housewives of Paducah. Right. Yeah. Let's kill him and maim him and. I do remember. In a hemp cravat and all these kinds of things. But I've never thought about this, about like actually displaying the trophies from war, what you found. Yeah, they brought a lot of that stuff back. Hellish warfare. Yeah, and that's a serious point because it was the poison gas and the machine guns and the tanks and all that stuff is new on the right. battlefield. So really, when they got World War One, it wasn't your dad's war it wasn't your grandpa's war right it was a really serious new event because it wasn't on horseback you know it was chemical too yeah I mean, right. all, all that stuff is out there and that's what they mean by this new kind of warfare so that was pretty cool they really spiked that football though come and see what we did yeah and i think we we don't spike the football enough nowadays right wouldn't you like to see, like, you know, this was well, Bin Laden's stuff and, like, roll it around on a train? Right, yeah, like, maybe it. it's, I know, it's not uh, the appropriate thing to do, I guess, nowadays compared to then. That's what it looks like. And now we're ready for the moment we've all been waiting for. The main event. Round one. The Gettysburg Address, Jason. Can it's got to be done. We right. finally got to it. Yeah, this is a, like, if you asked... Your average person name a famous speech, they're going to name this one. Right. It is considered one of the great speeches in American history. And it's one of Lincoln's great speeches. Sure. Oh, yeah. All by himself. Your mind goes to immediately this one. Right. So let's take a look at it because 
It is considered brilliant, even though it's a very short speech. That's part of it, though, right? Don't you think? I mean, brevity uh, is the soul of wit. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that had something to do with it. Four score and seven years ago, if Lincoln had allergy problems, it would have sounded just like this. Jason. <laughs> I know. I know you probably wanted to do it, but yeah, like, um, well, let's see. It's November, right? When he delivered this, maybe he's got a cold. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent. A new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And that is actually a news flash back in Europe. They did not believe that. They were born better than you. Yeah. They're kind of on the last legs of kings. But when you go 87 years before that, as he's, I mean, they thought we were crazy. You're going to let the people be in charge? No way. We are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. That's Gettysburg. It's the pivotal battle of the war, and we are revisiting the battlefield. We are met to dedicate a portion of it as a final resting place of those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our power to add or detract. This is actually my favorite part. Okay. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. So this is a tribute to the soldiers. And I do like the, the part where he thinks, okay, we're going to say a few words. Nobody will remember it. Yes. And it's the most remembered thing in American right. history. And, and always a good uh, thing to be humble in that situation, given like he recognized that, yes, we're here giving a speech, but it's nothing like the sacrifice that was here just a few months ago. Well said. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work that they have thus far so nobly carried on. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to the cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that the dead shall not have died in vain, that the nation shall, under God, have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. That's the whole thing. So, behind the scenes. Yes, a congressman was there then. I see that. Yeah, Congressman Edward McPherson. He's going to tell us a little story about where this came from. Because you might think, okay, Lincoln's going to sit down. He's going to write the greatest address in the history of the American people. So what's that moment going to be like? And it's a little different than you might expect. In his words, he says, I represented the Gettysburg District in Congress at the time of the battle. And at the dedication of the cemetery, Mr. Lincoln was my guest. He was not sure that he could be present when he was first asked but said that he should go to Gettysburg if possible. And that makes sense. President's a busy man. You can't go to every single thing that you get invited to. 
I think he was not prepared to say positively that he would go until a very few hours before the time set for leaving Washington. So he could not have given any thought to the oration before. How about that? He probably did, though. You know. Just in case. Yeah, just in case. What might I say? I think at this point, too, he probably, if he didn't prepare or give any thought to it, he knew like pretty confidently that he could manage it. Oh, yeah. You get to the point where you're pretty pretty sure of your own skills. I'm going to wing it. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I, I don't know. Where'd that come from? Wing it. I don't know. I don't know if that was a thing back then, but yeah. Like, I got this. I'll oh, be all right. Pe- people used to wing it. They probably didn't call it wing it, but they used to wing it. Oh, they wing it, yeah. And can you imagine winging the greatest speech in American history? Well, it certainly seems like he didn't think that it he states that he didn't think it would be the greatest speech, but certainly yeah. it's going to be memorable at that battlefield. Was yeah. that the worst battle in terms of casualties? It is, right? It is. It's also the turning point after for, of the war. Right, for so, the North. So before that battle, you're not sure who's going to win. After that battle, it's pretty obvious, especially looking back, that the South is on the run. Right. The North is on the march. And... It's just a matter of mopping it all up. The way the historians put it, that broke the ability of the South to go on offensive right, going maneuvers to the north. throughout the North. Yeah. yeah. It's the beginning of the end. So so Gettysburg, very important on about two or three different fronts. So this is back to McPherson for a second. I was his seatmate in the car, and though he talked pleasantly and spoke of the country through which we were passing— Yet I thought he was laboring with one of those spells of profound melancholy with which he was at times afflicted. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this. You probably have. Lincoln kind of famous for depression. Right. Sinking into these little places where he's just not in a good place. I think that we uh, kind of understand that about him. And then, um, of course, he's under whatever his personality was to begin with. He's under tremendous pressure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And a sense of like. It's easy to think about this, the Civil War, too, I think, as just a war, like a normal war where you have divided enemies. But these are the same people in the same country that are fighting and killing each other. That's pretty stressful. He spoke of Mr. Everett, who was to deliver the chief oration. That's another thing about this. All right. Yeah, because he... His speech is not the big speech. His speech is like an intro... To the big address of the day. You know, a very oratory style speech after two hours. Lincoln gets up and talks for two minutes. Just in terms of like showmanship, <laughs> concision can be a good thing. Maybe that's what has the, uh, the secret to it all. And said that Everett ought to be at his best. I knew that Mr. Everett had given even more than his usual care in preparing this oration and looked upon his work as a masterpiece. He was like known as a great speaker at the time. Right. The other guy thinks, yes, this is the ultimate speech. Two hours into it. Yeah. And I believe I told Mr. Lincoln so. And he said that the theme was great enough to inspire such an orator as Everett to be his best. Mr. Lincoln, I think had no thought of saying anything himself But I told him that it would be expected to make a few remarks, for it would not be permitted him to be silent. 
He knew that. He's the president. I don't know. You don't think that in some some way he thought, hey, maybe I can get out of this maybe. without making a speech? Yeah. I'll just show up, tip the hat. No, not Lincoln. <laughs> not Lincoln. And he's fond of talking. No, that's true. He sat for some moments absorbed in thought and at last began to feel in his pockets as if for loose paper. I asked him if he wanted paper and pencil, and he said, yes, a scrap of paper. And I opened my valise. That's like a little suitcase-looking thing. Yes. I opened my valise and gave him two or three sheets of notepaper. He drew up his long knees and, putting a book on them, wrote, jotting down, as I supposed, a few heads or suggestions. He wrote right along without hesitation or erasure and filled one page and part of another. Then he folded it up, put it in his pocket, simply saying that he had set down a few lines that it had occurred to him to say. So there it was. Simple as that. Okay, I think I want to say this, 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 this. No erasing. Can you believe that? Yeah. Just uh, scribbled down a few thoughts. Kind of a, a president in a different sort. Like, um, well, he was the one of the first ones you would call like a country uh, beginning president. Yeah, that was different. Now that Jackson was kind of like that. But if you throw Jackson out of it, then a whole lot of these guys are like the East Coast dynasty guys. Yeah, right. And that does make Lincoln stand aside, stand out. At the cemetery, at the proper time, he arose put on his spectacles, and drew these sheets from his pocket. I do not think he had looked at them again after writing them in the cars, and in a low voice, which could be heard but a few feet away from the stage, he read those splendid lines. The few who heard him were most profoundly impressed, but upon the vast throng who saw him, the oration made no impression whatever, because few heard it. No proper report of the oration was made, and Mr. Lincoln crumpled the manuscript up and would very likely have thrown it away if I had asked him for it. It was not until it had been printed in a newspaper and then widely copied that its wonderful beauty, both in thought and literary workmanship, was recognized, and Mr. Lincoln was very much surprised to learn that scholars were quoting it as the best model of pure English and true eloquence the language had furnished, at least in America. Yeah. So you're saying he spoke quietly, actually, in delivering it. And then we're talking about a huge mass of people. Not everybody heard it. Maybe didn't get the response uh, from the audience that he would have expected. Exactly. But he knew that reporters were writing this down. He knew that that was going to be printed, too. You could probably expect that. Yeah. I don't know that he could expect the reception yeah, to it. Yeah, it seems like he didn't. Or yeah. the reaction to it. It's funny. It was. I was just thinking about something else. It was Led Zeppelin. Really? Okay. And they, and they said that when they first played Stairway to Heaven live, the audience was like completely bored. It's kind of long. <laughs> Yeah, and, and they were like, hey, wait a minute. I want Whole lot of Love Part 2. Yeah. I'm Where's gonna, that? We used to like three or four minute songs. And and so then it wasn't until later yeah. that it kind of sunk in and then people came to love it. And it looks like Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address was kind of like that. Only later did they become 
vastly important for him. It's a presentation for that audience. It's like that in the art world a lot too, right? Right, yes. So in their own time, people are like, eh, whatever, you painted this. You can't know that that's going to be the most famous one of all that he ever did. Yeah, and uh, looks like that's exactly what we had on deck with the Gettysburg Address. And now you know that part of the story. Very concise, I think. <laughs> it's probably concise. We'll let the audience be the ultimate judge. For right now, though, we got to pay a few bills around here. For 1956, choose Ford, America's favorite station wagon. With Thunderbird Y8 power, Thunderbird styling, exclusive new lifeguard design. There's the Country Squire, a queen among station wagons. Mahogany finished steel panels give wood-like beauty to this luxurious eight-passenger dreamboat. What, what, what was with the wood on the cars? It's like furniture to these people. It is a little weird. I, I do say that on the interior the of the dash, car, right? I get that. Like, yeah. Well, that's still kind of a thing. Yeah. Or the wood look. And and, and but that's a little weird, though. I mean, it, like, on the why outside. What? Oh yeah, the outside. Yeah. That's definitely weird. I've seen station wagons like that as late as the 1980s. Yeah, with that look, brown. Yeah, brown. It's not a great fake, color for a car. Brown. Fake uh, yeah. grain look. Right. Yeah, it's kind of. Kind of strange. Then there's also this park lane, which is a six-passenger, two-door station wagon. So everybody's crawling. Yeah, you're right. How are you going to get in the back of this thing? Ah, you got to work at it. (laughs) Put another door on that thing. Yeah, a a two-door, six-passenger. There's nothing like that today, is there? A two-door, six-passenger car? No, no. Well, I mean, that wouldn't have been a big deal. I guess they saved a little tiny bit of money not putting another two doors on that. Oh, you think that's what it was? Or was I, it a styling I, I, thing? What, or they just wanted to be really inconvenient. Did you ever ride in a station wagon, really, though, as a I, kid? I did. I rode in the very back yes. part of the station wagon. Right. So that's kind of like the cargo compartment. Oh, my. I, but there were <laughs> seats back there. I can remember that clearly. Cannot have been safe at all for the child's head to be facing backwards. And some of them were sideways. They were bench seats, and you'd be facing each other sideways. And mm, I was not, not good not good for a collision at all. I was not wearing a seatbelt? No. I, no. Clearly, I was actually crawling around back there. Yeah, right, right, sure. Playing with toys. It's a big space back there sideways, I know. I think the, the person that picked me up for kindergarten was in a station wagon. I can remember that clearly. And we were way in the back. And, you know, whatever. I gotta say, I prefer modern-day SUVs. Well, isn't this kind of like that, though, where they made a car that wasn't a truck? It had the space of a truck. You know, it's enclosed like a SUV. Yeah, Fascinating a, to hear me talk about it. It's a pre-SUV. It kind of is. Yeah. 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 They wanted wood. All right, then, Jason. What else uh, you got? What about some fan appreciation? You were just telling what? me. Yeah. Oh. You, were, you were just telling me that we had some feedback from oh. uh, from the fans out there. Okay. We've got people missing the old theme song. Is that right? Well, hold on. Let me let my phone recognize my face <laughs> so that I might get into this. You sprung it on me. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, 
had some good comments from uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> uh, the blogger, you know, our our blogger, our Civil War blogger, Mr. Uh, Lindo. He, yes, there you go. Um, yeah, his episode uh, went really well. So uh, nice comments there. And uh, JD Wilkes, you know JD Wilkes? Not yet. Uh, what's wrong with you, Brent? I'm out of the loop. Get with it. Yeah, re- really good local performer. Um, he was very nice here, and uh, he talked about. Uh, he was actually talking about the Colonel. Now wait a minute, the Colonel is pretty famous too. I'm talking about Sanders. Yeah. What would you say, Colonel versus Abe Lincoln? So Lincoln number one, fame, clearly. Yeah. Then probably Colonel, Colonel Sanders. If you had, let's say you named, let's say you're in California and you said, hey, name somebody from Kentucky. Would they say the Colonel Sanders or would they say the Abraham Lincoln? I don't know. Illinois claims him too. That bugs you, right? Yeah. Well, the funny part about that is you you see the sign on the way out of the state. Welcome to Illinois, the land of Lincoln. That, that's on their license plate. And then you come back and it says, welcome to Kentucky, the birthplace of Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true. He was born here, but then uh, he moved there and did a lot of good stuff. Uh, thanks for springing this on me. CivilWarAuthor.com, I think, is Derek's good site. He was cool. Who else? Hmm. Oh, Nomads Rome. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, this is one I was telling you about. Miss the opening music. I didn't realize that they it would affect people they like by changing beat, the theme beat, song. Beat. The old ads are great. Nice. Yes. And uh, I didn't tell you this. The old, not the old, the hard winner of 79. Remember? Yes. Especially interesting. That's good because that's a, that's a nice motiv- one. It motivated. Yeah, sure it is. It motivated him to bring it up. Yeah. Plus, we don't usually go that far back. So that was it. Was good to get like a one of the uh, pioneer ones in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but it's okay because old Kentucky tales never fails to return. You can download even more episodes on iTunes or the NPR One app. If you like what you hear, please leave a review, rate us, tell us how you like the music, tell us which episodes you like. If you didn't like what you heard, there's no way you made it through all this. Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong, the Paducah School of Art and Design, West Kentucky Community and Technical College, and the rest is history. History.